This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. Now, my regular listeners might see the title of this episode as being something that's just for preachers. And certainly, the content is something that I've used in my preaching class, but I think it's something that's helpful for everybody. I remember sitting with a business leader in the Tampa community, some a member of our board, Mr. Tao Lan, who's a CPA. He was a partner with a major big five financial firm. And as I was sitting down with him, he was coaching me up as we were about to head into some intense negotiations. And I realized that in that moment, he was describing to me, he was trying to coaching me on how to use illustrations. Now, he didn't use those words, but basically he was like, when you get in that negotiation, here's the words that you say at this point. This is going to help us drive it home and they'll have to answer in this way. What I realized is he was giving me a preaching lesson. So on today's episode and next week's episode as well. So for two episodes, we're going to look at illustrations or what Alice McKenzie calls, and you'll hear that in today's podcast, illustrative energy. How do we bring this type of energy into our conversations? And those of you who sit in a pew on Sunday and listen to a preacher, I think it'll help you understand your preachers better. But at the same time, it's how we communicate and how we can communicate better by use of illustrations or illustrative energy. In the homiletical community, it ends up being illustrations is this broad term that describes all kinds of things that are going on. And there's many more ways to describe this. So on today's podcast, I have Dr. Matt Friedemann, Dr. Alice McKenzie, Dr. Miriam Platt, Commissioner Sue Swanson. Then on the second half, it got to be so good and so long that I had to break this up into two episodes. We have Elijah Friedemann, Captain um, Captain Antoine Yoakum. I almost called him Lieutenant in my mind. I was thinking of the, I was like, Captain, who's that? Uh, Captain Antoine Yoakum, Major Andy Miller Jr., my father, and then Reverend Stan Key. And I have each of them give us their best illustration or one of their favorite illustrations. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. I want to just take a minute to thank our sponsors, um, Bill Roberts at WilliamHRoberts.com. He's a financial planner who works with ministry leaders all over the country and does an amazing job helping people achieve their financial goals. And he does this in a Christian way. He's particularly skilled at helping people who work for the Salvation Army or are Salvation Army officers. And he's an officer's kid himself. He's somebody who believes in the ministry of this podcast. And I'm so appreciative of him coming along. So check him out at WilliamHRoberts.com. And then, as usual, WPO Development. I'm so thankful for Keith Waters and his team coming along to support us. You might notice that Keith and his team work all over the country. They've done more than 250 capital campaigns for the Salvation Army. That Not only that, just uh, leading and guiding capital campaigns, they also help people with mission planning studies to figure out if they need to do a campaign in the first place, and then strategic planning. They do a great job, and likely they can come to you, and they're, the, they're, they're not just like going to sit on the other side of a phone and give you advice. Keith and his team are people who come and sit down with you, sit down with board members and donors and help develop a plan and make it happen. So you can find out more about him at keith.waters at wpodevelopment.com or you can just Google WPO Development. Thanks so much for checking out the More to Story podcast. God bless you. Hi, friends. I'm so glad to have my friend, Dr. Matt Friedemann, who serves as a professor here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. He also is the founding pastor of Day Spring Church, which is in Clinton, Mississippi, and he's been the host of a national radio show, so he knows how to use illustrations, and I'm telling you he knows how to use them because I still remember one that he used when I was a student at Asbury University. Matt, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Andy. So how is it that you utilize or think about illustrative energy 
in preaching or just even communication in general? Well, this really is one of my favorite topics, Andy, because I think it's so critical to be an effective communicator today, maybe more than ever, because we're, we got such a video, such a, a site-oriented world that you've got to make sure your preaching is like that too. So there's, there's two things that I really like when I hear good okay. preaching that keep me captivated. And Andy, I heard you the other day in the Wesley Biblical Seminary Chapel, and you did these things, oh, and I was captivated. So first is, I want to know interesting biblical insights, some okay. things I don't know yet that you're going to inform me about that I get excited about. Boy, I didn't know that. That's wonderful. And usually I'm writing those things down in my Bible. So okay. I, uh, so if I'm writing my Bible while you're preaching, uh, that's good stuff. And I wrote okay. my Bible that day a lot, as, 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 as you know. So the biblical insights. But the second thing that I have to have in order to continue to listen yeah. is illustrations. You've got to paint me some kind of picture for my brain, because if you don't, uh, I don't mean to, but my mind wanders, and right. I am not atypical there. Lots of people will have wandering minds. Right. Uh, we've got a, a left brain world that loves to learn from facts and figures and mathematics. Just give me the facts, ma'am, kind of learners. Right. We've got middle right. brain people that do pretty well with both of them. And then we've got right brain learners, and that is they have to have things like good illustrations or right. drama or uh, music or they, they have to have their right brain engaged or you lose them. So I am between whole brain and right brain, which means I kind of have to have it. And that's important for preachers to know because 70% of the right brain can't learn without right brain approaches. They've got to wow. have 70%. And that's a lot of your congregation. Wow. Um, the left brain can learn from all contingencies. So if they don't get right brain or if they don't get left brain stuff, they might not like it, but they can learn. Right. right brain has to have right brain. So I'm just saying that that's important for my kind of learner. And so, Andy, I'm just going to tell everybody again, you do great at this, uh, both great biblical insights and good illustrations. And that's what keeps 100% of your congregation captivated if you do it well. Well, thanks for saying that. I appreciate I appreciate it. I want my students to hear that that I actually maybe can do okay with it. So, I appreciate, uh, so it, I'm curious to like you, you even when you're in a congregation, the actual like when you get up looking at the congregation or even the classroom is important to you. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you're crazy if you're not trying to see how you're doing. Okay. Uh, and I bet you do this because I can kind of, I was kind of watching you preach the other day. Oh man, I, now I'm really worried. Yeah, you're yeah, looking around saying, whoa, and it's a tough crowd. I mean, a seminary crowd is like the worst to preach at because we're all being critical. I mean, we're thinking, right, oh, right. If, I, if this is me, this is what I would have said then. But you're looking around seeing how you're doing. So, for instance, uh, there's been some research done on simple body movements, and that is people will scratch their nose uh, when they're a little bored, and they won't when they're not bored. Now, there's always reason to move, and sometimes very legitimate reasons to move, but I have noticed that when people are captivated, especially by right-brained material, that is good illustrations, there's a lot less movement in the crowd. Okay. And when, in fact, you stop right-brain illustrations and get away from the illustrative, what happens is people start moving again. So my tall recommendation to students is really you've got about a minute of left brain stuff before people's minds wow. start wandering and you may never get them back. So literally every minute, maybe two, if you wanted to stretch it, you've got to be launching into some kind of fascinating illustration. 
Wow. Now that you're not necessarily saying you need to have a full out story every minute, but some insight, something that's not just this uh, right brain function. Yeah. So I'd say the left brain function. So I'd say just the oh, facts, right. ma'am, is what I call the left brain. Okay. And okay. Uh, the whole bunch of us don't learn that way best. And I'm happen to be one of them. Uh, so yeah, you, you've got to have the other side engaged. And if you don't, uh, you're going to see a lot more body movements. And what you won't see is their minds wandering off from yeah. your pulpit into some other more interesting thing for them. And right. that's going to be daydreaming, daydreaming of some kind. There, there is a gift in learning to read a crowd. There's something to it. And it's hard to make it empirical, but there's something about the engagement in the moment that's important. Um, so I love, I love that you're saying that. Now, you have a unique way of putting your illustrations together, uh, keeping them. And you have this document I want you to show, if you don't mind sharing your screen with us. Um, I think this is really helpful for preachers of all sorts to be able to have something like this that's available. So tell us what this is, blue chipper. Okay. Yeah, so this is my blue chip list. Now, real quick, before we begin this, this is my list of stories that I use. Uh, if I were going to go preaching somewhere, let's say I'm doing a camp meeting or, or some church has me in for a week, uh, I'm going to take this list along and prepare along the way. So I usually prepare for a meeting while I'm doing the meeting. Uh, yeah. And the reason <laughs> for that is you never know. You, once you know more about the crowd, you might find other things work uh, or they have needs in a different direction than you might have uh, thought two weeks ago. So I will take this list in and it's general stories, stuff I've found really good uh, that I will use. And so this is the kind of stuff that uh, I use over and over again. Now, let me just say, I use them over and over again, even in my regular congregation, because this is what I found. I had an old preacher years ago. There's a great right brain preacher said, listen, Matt, I don't mind telling the same story six times a year. Wow. Because if you tell it well, you'll find out that those stories are a lot like music. Everybody wow. has their playlist. No one minds hearing that song again. And I find the same thing with stories. So yes. I just, and if they're personal and they deal with your church, that's a good way to continue to inculcate your church's vision and values over and over again. Wow. So anyway, these are the general stories, stuff I use all the time. Then I got up here, great passages of scripture. Now, all the all scripture is great, but right. this is the stuff I go to a lot when I'm trying to illustrate certain precepts in scripture. Then I have great words, and uh, most of these are already written in my Bible, but here's some that I just want to remind myself of. Then MF is Matt Friedman. That's me. Okay. So here are the stuff that, uh, first of all, just kind of general stuff. Then I have high school stuff. Painful, painful illustrations. <laughs> Then I go to college, stuff that I witnessed, personally witnessed or happened to me in college, in seminary. Then Jackson, where I've lived for 33 years. Now, what you ought to be doing, and I don't do really good enough job of this, is continually adding to this across years. But if you'll notice, right. uh, there's Jerry here in Grace. Well, that, yeah. means that means nothing to anybody, but it does to me. So it, okay. it's, this isn't a list for you. This is a list for me. And uh, that is a great illustration about a lady uh, in our congregation 30 years ago, all about grace. I know what it is. I don't have to review it. That's just a reminder to me. If you get out there and need to talk about grace, that's a great story. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's, here's my first time with uh, Governor Kirk Fordyce and what happened. That is a hilarious illustration. 
Um, so anyway, it, just write, go down, right down the list and have fun. But uh, that's just helpful to me to have that tucked away. It's a computer, but I also have it in my Bible typically. And I just open up, look down. So if you were to say, okay, we need you to speak in 10 minutes on this subject, almost inevitably, I'll say, well, what's the passage of scripture? And then I'm going to go check out some illustrations uh, out of that list. Interesting. I love too that the, what you said, and I've had one other person say this too, the idea of repeating illustrations in the same congregation. And I like how you added the fact that that's something that can nurture the vision that you've already cast. I find it like my grandfather was one who would go to camp meetings and people acted like he was a musician. They'd say, do the do do the garbage sermon, yeah. <laughs> do this one. You know, it's like they wanted to hear yes. it. So yeah, like, that's I great. love that. Yeah. And so, so I'm thinking, you know, if you're a camp meeting preacher, you sometimes get asked like three years from now, I'm thinking, do I go back and do the same thing? The answer is that is no, but I bet a yeah. third of the illustrations I will tell at that same camp meeting three years from now will be the same. No one will mind. In fact, if they were there the first time, they'll probably love it. Yeah, sure. They can see it coming. They can see the punchline or whatever changes. Okay. Is- I'd, I'd love for you to tell the, the I think, you know, I'm, where I'm going at least one of your John Perkins stories, the, the one that you shared at the Asbury Chapel that I still remember, I think I could tell it, but I'd love for you to tell that story. Okay, John, first off, maybe not everybody knows who John Perkins is. Oh, right, Great right. man of God, African-American that uh, left the state of Mississippi, came back to the state and said, I want to preach racial reconciliation the rest of my life. And uh, he's been doing that, and he's a thoroughgoing, Bible-thumping evangelical. Love the man. Uh, His story is one of the things why I was so excited to come to Mississippi. So that's who John Perkins is as I tell the story. It was was, uh, several years ago now, and uh, as you've already said, Andy, I uh, am a a talk show host. I was also writing a -a twice-a-week opinion page column in the Jackson Clarion Ledger, which is our statewide daily. And so I was kind of in the media and they would have me do some TV from time to time. So they asked me to come in to do some TV one Sunday afternoon. They thought it was like, we got to do it now because this is really important. And so they had me come in and the topic was Jackson, what next? Okay. And so Jackson's the name of our town, what next? And so what's that supposed to mean? Well, we had a, the president of our city council just took an under the table deal for a strip club rezoning. And he was in jail and looked like a couple other of those city council members are going to go to jail. So the city's in crisis. So get in here quick. Let's talk about this. So it was me. It was a a very famous state senator, another talking head, another media person. And then lastly, walks in John Perkins, who happens to be one of my life heroes. He sits next to me. I lean over and I said, hi, my name's Matt Free. We introduced, had a great time of fellowship and and then it's time to start the program. So the lady that's doing this is Katina Rankin. And she says, okay, it's Jackson, what next? Let's go to our respondents and talk about the crises in our city. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been preaching and this has happened to you. It's happened to me. Uh, I get to the first break and they take a commercial break and it's boring. You can just tell this, this program is dying. And so Katina knows it. She looks over at me and says, man, this is going terrible. I said, it is going terrible. She goes, why do you suppose? I said, it's because you're not asking very good questions. <laughs> oh, well, so I never, never, never dawned on me, you know, that here we come. So we come out the break. Hi, my name is Katina Rankin, Channel 16. And we are discussing Jackson. What next? We are a city in crisis. 
She looks right at me. I knew, here we go. Here we go. She looks right over at me and says, Matt, tell me whose fault is this? I thought she was implying maybe it was my fault. And I'm, I'm, I'd say, Who, whose fault? Whose fault? This is what I'm fixing to say. Whose fault is this? Why, Katina? We are a nation of laws. We are a state of laws. We're a city of laws. And when you break those laws, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. You are going to jail in this country because we are a nation, a city of laws. That's what I'm going to say. I don't get a word of it out. I mean, I'm up on the front of my chair with my finger out. I don't get a word of it out because there came an answer before mine. Mm. It's to my left. And a voice said, it's my fault. Man. I look over and there was John Perkins. I mean, every head wheeled around and said, what? He says, yeah, I, I've been a Bible teacher for 30 years in this city. Mm. I should have been able to do something, say something, disciple someone that would have prevented this president or these other gentlemen from ever doing such a thing. Wow. Now, if you're going to blame somebody, you can blame Dr. John Perkins. Wow. And I thought in that moment, Andy, there is a man of God mm. and seated in my seat is a boy of God. <laughs> and I, I kind of whispered a prayer in that moment. Jesus, help me to grow up to be a man someday. Amen. Now, I will use that illustration, Andy. Frequently, when I preach, I use the Beatitudes, my favorite passage of scripture. I think it's a self-portrait of Jesus. Yeah. But when you, I, I use that for blessed are those who mourn. Mm. We got a lot of angry people today, Andy. They're yeah. not mourning at all for the wickedness in our land and, or blessed are the merciful. Either one of those places, whenever you're talking about mercy or ever talking about action that needs to be taken, that's a great illustration to use. Ooh, I love it. I, I think what makes it so interesting is like we go along with you in that moment where you're saying what you would respond to. And many people would resonate with that. I mean, who cannot say we're a country of laws or a, a city of laws? And I remember when I first heard it, uh, somebody not far away from me in the crowd, you might remember this, actually said, amen. But you were actually pointing out that you are the boy. You are the wrong the idiot. one. Yeah, I was yeah, the idiot. I mean, so I love how you take us on a journey. Well, thanks so much for taking some time with us. I know we had to do this a couple of times because we didn't get the recording right, but it means a lot to me that you took time for my class and this podcast. The key is get right brain, people. It'll help. I love it. Thanks, Matt. Hi, friends. I am so glad to have with me my friend, Dr. Alice McKenzie, who teaches preaching at Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University. Alice, thanks so much for coming to this class. My pleasure. Hello, everybody. Eager students. There they are. Just now, do what at, your professor says and you'll be fine. Oh, that's right. Because I did what my professor said. Oh, okay. That was Alice. There you so, go. So I, I did my best. I did my very best. So you're, you, they'll probably recognize if they went to one of your classes, a lot of similarities. So she helped me put even this class together. So if you don't like something, it's her fault. If you like oh, something, that's great. Like. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> so we've been talking about the famous nebulous term illustrations that, that covers right. a lot of areas. And I'd love, and, and beyond, like you, of course, you teach on this subject, but also as a, you're also a practitioner and one who does this well. I'd love to hear some of the things you hope people get and, and you want people to understand about illustrations. Sure. Well, I um, prefer the term illustrative energy 
to oh, illustrations. Yes. That illustrative energy. Because illustration for me conveys the older idea that the sermon is three points, which it can sometimes be effectively, right. but three sort of cognitive intellectual points, and then then a story to shine light on the point. So illustrare right, right. in Latin is to shine light on. Right, so, right, right. So, I, as you know, so um, I prefer the term illustrative energy because that leaves room for imagery and for uh, for metaphor, for similes. Yes. Sometimes the story doesn't illustrate the point, but it is the point. Yeah. So you can yes, yes. start with a story and then pull the thread out of it. So. Um, yeah, you know, anyway. some people would disagree. Some people would say, "No, yeah. no, no! Don't do that! Don't make the story the point." But that might miss the fact that there is sometimes a clear point right. that can be right. made from the story. So you're saying that's okay? Well, I have an example. As oh, luck, please share. As, as yeah. luck would, I think these make me look, you know, really brainy, don't they? Oh yeah, I should get mine on. Yeah, there we go. All right. So here's an idea. It, it's okay. um, the story. Then the story sets out sets up a, actually sets up a conceptual frame as well as a kind of vivid mental image. So here it is. This is on um, Philippians 2, 1 to 11, where okay. it's the, you know, it's the Christ hymn, have this yes, mind yes, among yes. yourselves, beautiful hymn. And so I thought of the metaphor for, uh, of this as Paul's pack list. Oh, interesting. Paul's pack list. So I talk about, um, how I do a lot of traveling. He did even more. Um, I've I've faced inconveniencing, being inconvenienced by late flights and lost luggage, but never been beaten and shipwrecked. And yeah. uh, and then I talk about how um, he's in jail in in Philippi and he's facing one last journey. Hmm. He'll come when that centurion comes and knocks on the door and leads him to the chopping block. And so um, so I then say the prospect of imminent death tends to clarify a person's priorities. Wow, yeah. And so Philippians 2, 1 to 11 is Paul's pack list for the Philippian church on their journey of faith. There's only one item on it. It's one that he never left home without in all of his journeys. One that he doesn't want the church to forget on its journey. And then I, I go into kind of a little scenario about how I always leave something behind when I go mm. on a trip. But that sets it up as as a metaphor you see paul's pack list right right and, and then i don't spill the beans right away because eventually we reveal that the one thing on the list is humility wow yeah. and so so to me that i don't think that that dumbs the sermon down i think that that frames it in contemporary experience because i i always forget stupid stuff like i went to atlanta i forgot my thyroid medication i even went to south africa in in august and my daughter was helping me pack and we had all the stuff laid out on the guest bedroom bed. And she says, oh, you don't need the, these boots. She said, it's summer, it's 98 degrees here. And then, you know, forgetting that it's winter in South Africa. <laughs> so, so anyway, you sort of set it in, in an everyday sort of setting, then you pull out that thread. Mm. So in yeah. some ways, it's a little deeper relationship than just, just that story sheds intellectual light on. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you use the word windows and that comes up so often in the uh, preaching material if people describe it. We had uh, one of the books that we read said uh, discerning windows, but then Tom Long says breaking windows, right? right. So yeah. it's trying to come up with a way people think of these windows, what they accomplish 
being different. And like in that story, as you used it there, the, the metaphor is accomplishing something in conjunction with the text, but it, it's like it, it has its own idea. And the, the, the idea of that one, that one thing that was on right. his list. Right, right. So I've, yeah, so I've used a common human experience and kind right. of made it into a story kind of. And it's an analogy. It only works if there's a, a nice, profound analogy between the human experience and the text. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For example, you can you can start too shallow, like like a sermon on Bartimaeus, the yes. in Mark ten. So Jesus is coming. He's calling out. He's blind. He's a beggar. He's poor. So I did hear a sermon one time where the preacher started out talking about her son, her little son, and how excited he always got when he heard the ice cream truck coming and he heard the sound of the ice cream truck. Yeah, and then sure, she, sure. she made an analogy between that and Bartimaeus's joy at knowing that Jesus was coming. And right. that does not work. Because, right. <laughs> right. There's, there's a similar like shred of an emotion that works, but it, it's not the same because it doesn't work on a number of fronts because there's not enough similarity because right. a, a, a ice cream truck, you know what it is. Bartimaeus didn't know what was coming. Well, and also, also there's the important, um, there's a Latin term. I don't know much Latin, but I like to throw it out there, you know. There you go. You're a professor. You should. (laughs) Yeah, right. But it's called infra dignitatum. Okay. Infra dignitatum. And it means beneath the dignity of. And so to compare Jesus, the savior Mm -hmm. of humankind coming. Right. It's, it's beneath the dignity of an ice cream truck. As much as I love Nutty Buddies, right, <laughs> right. talk is beneath the dignity of the theological reality that to which the preacher is trying to compare. Wow. Yeah. So that's another thing that to think about. Like, can the example? There's room for humor, of course, right? Right. Right. Lightness. And uh, I mean, my leaving my boots in Texas because it was 98 degrees and going to South Africa is sort of funny sort of duh yeah <laughs> i blame my daughter still i bring it up to her like remember that time yeah that's right you can hold yeah. that one over right so um the the other thing i i think about is that okay i have to pause sorry okay gotcha yeah my, my sprinkler again yeah okay okay all right so what was the other thing i was thinking about oh we were talking about how the the illustration or the image needs to be yeah. at the same level. It needs to do justice to the theological truth or biblical. Right, biblical right. Um, Shouldn't trivialize it. Yes, it does trivialize it. And there is a, it is an art and not a science because sometimes we, we need to make fun of ourselves because we are pretty ridiculous. The stuff that we right. call as human beings, you know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so um, the other thing I think is really interesting and long talks about this, uh, about how one one example or illustration can be used in different ways. And uh, I, I have an example. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Oh, please do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's this story that I share in my book called Making the Scene in the Pulpit. Yes. And it may be familiar to your you folks. Um, it's a story that Booker T. Washington, the African-American educator and orator, used to tell. Yeah. And um, I've called the story, Cast Down Your Buckets. Have you okay. ever heard this story? I haven't, so, no. So, um, so it's a story of how the captain of a vessel in the South Atlantic Ocean signaled for help from another vessel not far off. Help, save us, or we perish for lack of water. 
The captain of the other vessel's reply was, cast down your buckets where you are. Hmm. Supposing the second captain had not gotten the message accurately, the captain of the troubled ship signaled again, help, save us, for we perish for lack of water. Again, the nearby ship signaled back, cast down your buckets where you are. It went on and on and on until the captain of the first ship in desperation decided he had nothing to lose by following this outlandish advice. And when his crew members cast down their buckets, they drew them up filled with clear, cool, sparkling water from the mouth of the Amazon. Hmm. The captain had not realized the powerful current of the Amazon River carried fresh water from the South American rainforest many miles out into the South Atlantic. Now, you could take that and you could use that as a simile. Okay. You know, we have the resources of wisdom within us, um, like the ship has the resource you see so that's yeah, sure, of, sure yeah intellectual simile um a simile usually i think as long uses it um clarifies something intellectually right that you, something you don't understand that yeah right which and, but it's good. not usually going to bring you down to the altar to give your life to jesus it, it just kind of clarifies something um uh, but as fred craddock points out you know we need information sometimes on the road to formation hmm yeah Wow. So, um, so then um, it could also be a full-bodied story, and you could heighten the emotion about the thirst of the sailors, uh, and the parched right. lips, and the beating sun, and then the the relief of the cool water that on the dry throat, and you get more emotion with that. So you could pull it into a more full-bodied story, right? If you if you wanted to, um, depending on what you want to do with it. So I right. think that's I think that's helpful to realize that a story it's not like we have to categorize because sometimes we get caught up in oh is this a simile is this a metaphor right. what is this um, so I think it's it's fun to know that they are yeah they are if you have a good story what I found sometimes is in preaching if I get the opportunity to use a story more than once sometimes even while I'm preaching. I realize based upon how the audience is responding in that moment, right? They're they're often thinking, "Where are you going with this? What are you What are you yes, trying to do with us?" They are, and and almost like some of those intuitions that I see, I notice that they think it's going somewhere else, and and maybe I have a new idea of how it could work, how it could just be a story that like like what you just did there, or if it could be something that's more of a simile, or and and it. I, I've, I've had a story that I've used uh, probably uh, 30 times in the pulpit. Wow. And well, I know maybe, yeah, I've had to say that. And about, about the 15th time, and never the same pulpit. Uh, right, right. I, but uh, about the 15th time I told, I realized, no, this can go a different way. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so there's something called the MIT that, okay. is, uh, that a storyteller named Doug, um, blanking on his name now. I think it's Doug Miller. He um, he writes about the MIT in a story, and the MIT stands for the most important thing, and it's the answer to the question: Why am I telling you this story? Oh, is it Donald Miller story brand? Uh, no, that guy. No, okay. Doug and I'm okay. Oh, anyway, most important thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so the most important thing is. What um, the reason that you're telling the story in the first place? Yeah, sure. So, so and so I think that's helpful because because that's what people are wondering. We don't want them wondering that too much. We want that right. balance of suspense and the big reveal, right? So, 
And that's another tough thing, you know, do you want to spill the beans at the beginning or do you want to kind of keep on? Should I go ahead and tell people at the beginning that, hey, the, the most important thing on his pack list is humility? Right, no. Should I let them kind of fill in the blank as I go? I know that that's a tense area in the discipline, but I love to, you, that you made me wait to find out what the one thing was, even though I was thinking it's probably something I, like I know. Gave up something like that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, um, so the elasticity of, of um, il illustrations, I think, is important to think about. Okay. Uh, uh, other metaphors, metaphors can, um, like I say, they can be purely uh, intellectual or they can have some emotional content. Like one, I did a sermon one called Peel Off the Plastic about Psalm okay. 23. <laughs> and uh, based on this comedy routine I heard from this Italian uh, comedian, and he said that the, um, the sofa in his grandma's uh, parlor was uh, beautiful. It was yeah. got flowers all over, just beautiful. And he knew that because one time when he was seven years old, he lifted up the plastic. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, you know, apparently she was saving saving it for the visit of some really important person, such as maybe the Pope or with knowing his Nana, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a little bit yeah, of humor yeah. there, but you've also got the sense that then you go on to talk about how Psalm 23 were saved for a special occasion. And you know what that is. It's your funeral. Mm, <laughs> right? Wow. And then, then peel off the plastic. And, and let's see how we actually can use Psalm 23, not as a funeral, uh, funeral psalm, but as a life psalm. Yeah. So there's a lot going on there. There's some emotion, there's some humor, and but there is a concept. Right. So that metaphor governs what it is like and we even know it's coming because you see the comedian do it but you don't know right. what it is until you, right. Right. you tell us yeah. now the alternative would be for me to stand up and say you know um psalm 23 is a time-honored psalm in the tradition of the church and historically has been used as a psalm of comfort in funerals and i'm you're familiar with hearing the psalm in funerals but today my theme is that we want to to recover the importance of this psalm for everyday right. life right. Oh, okay <laughs> okay <laughs> Or you can right. show me show me this couch with plastic on it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it just kind of woo, brings it. It does not, though. I, I'm insistent on this. It doesn't dumb it down. Right. But I made up this word, you know, the word. I think there is a word vivify, I think. Okay. So we don't, yeah, dumb, so. We don't dumb it down. We viv it up. Viv it mm, up. Right? Sure. So anyway. What's the, what's the big, if you had to say, like, what are some of the mistakes that people make? with illustrative energy. I mean, we've got a few of them there already when it's something that doesn't live up to, right, right. you know, like, I mean, you have a whole book on things not to do in preaching. So I, I know that you can. Yeah. yeah, and you know that it's autobiographical, don't you? Oh, okay. You know that I tested out all of the methods just to see. <laughs> That's right, make sure they didn't work. ineffective I could be. So yeah, so I um, I would say uh, don't, don't under illustrate so don't just, I think it's Gardner Taylor who says that people don't want to hear, just want to hear about God. They want to hear from God. Mm -hmm. So this illustrative uh, energy is really incarnational preaching, which Jesus, Jesus was a master at, right? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, don't under illustrate and just tell people, tell people about God for 15, 20 minutes, but also don't over illustrate. And I sometimes will do this. I call it like, I call it homiletical bigamy because you're in love with two illustrations and you can't pick. And so you put them both in. <laughs> you have to pick, you have to pick one because you don't want two 
stories that make exactly the same point because yeah. you, don't, you don't have unlimited time. So um, that's one thing uh, I would uh, say. I, I just seen we did use all our students read in his clothes, in his oh, own yes. clothes, Gardner yes. Taylor's sermon. Yes. So the ending, that beautiful ending. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Eloquent ending. So also um, don't use some um, stories that make us the heroine or the hero. Right. Which can happen easily without our meaning to. And um, also on the other side, you don't need to, we don't need to be telling stories that make us look like this consistent buffoon. Right. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. I, and, I, and I do think that um, we want, we don't want to share stories. Well, let me put it this way. We always preach an experience because we can't help but do that in some way. But we don't always preach specifically about our own experience mm. because there's no point just because I did something doesn't mean I have to share it. Right. It's like a balance between um, authenticity, but also maintaining your pastoral credibility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so um, so oversharing is not. I even had a friend who shared that she was addicted to shoes and she just loved shoes and she had so many pairs of shoes. And then every week somebody would say to her, are they new? And so that's, yeah. very, that's very trivial. It's not immoral, but it just kind of trivializes her. Yeah. So that's a very mild example. It could get a lot worse, right? Um, yeah. So I would say don't use stories that you don't have permission to share. Right. Also undermines our credibility. If I think, oh, wow, she's sharing that story. I'm not going to her with any of my issues. Right. I'll end up in her sermon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And uh, I know a lot of preachers will say that as their children have gotten older, they've, they've uh, demanded that they get permission for sharing stories. Or right. um, my, um, my pastor here in Allen, Texas, where we live, his son started charging him. Oh, interesting. <laughs> per per illustration. Um, so I, what else would, would I say? Uh, I think don't tell stories that don't make your point just because you don't have anything else and you start right. a sermon too late in the week. <laughs> mm, interesting. And um, there are some important do's, I think, though, as well. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not just. Yeah. These are probably oh. things that you've already told your students, but. Go ahead. Yeah, run, push, go through them. That'd be great. One of them uh, would be that I think we should use examples from a lot of different, I call them story buckets. Okay. And so there's a, the history bucket, the liter, literature bucket, the um, personal family experience bucket, the biblical bucket, because you can write a biblical story to illustrate a text, another text, the, your theological tradition bucket. I know you, Salvation Army, have a rich store of of narratives and inspiring uh, example stories. Uh, popular culture right. um, is um, another, so a lot of different buckets. And um, that way, if, you know, if the preacher every week gets up and talks about the television show that they're watching, after a while, you might think, wow, the preacher's got a lot of time on his hands to be watching. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so very, and uh, very, the, um, the, sometimes giving the, um, his, did I mention a history bucket? Sometimes giving history of the writing of a classic hymn of the church can be very yeah. important. Right. Some, story, some of the stories are beautiful. Um, then uh, these are really, I would say, like meta advice, like advice, high level advice, or really fundamental advice. And one is that you place the most moving and memorable part of your sermon at the end mm. rather than the beginning. 
Right. Right. Um, because people remember the last thing that right. is said to them. My colleague here at Perkins, he, um, he calls it the candy bar based on this experiment they did with kids. And they gave one group of kids this big family size, you know, stickers bar. And then they gave the other group the same thing, same size candy bar, but a little stick of gum. Mm. And the second group was dissatisfied. Sure. They're like, well, all we got was this measly stick of gum. You know, they forgot about the candy bar. So he says, people remember what what they received last. So make sure that you have a moving story or like Gardner Taylor's sermon and eloquent, beautiful yes. um, uh, or, oration at the end about in his clothes. Yes. Um, so um, then, so put the most moving thing at the end. Make sure that you illustrate the positive more vividly than the negative. Hmm. So the rabbis talk about tikkun olam, which is God at work repairing the world. And I really see that as our job as preachers. We are to be out there. You know, my whole thing with knack for noticing. Right, right, right. And um, the preacher really as a sage or wisdom seeker. So it's our job to be out there looking. We don't ignore the evil, the injustice, the blinders. But we also don't tell people just tell them what they already know. Like, you know what? Y'all are really messed up. Now we're going to mm. take up the offering, right? Mm. <laughs> you got to have the good news, right? Yes, so yeah. More illustrate the that. positive more vividly than the negative. And in order to do that, then emotions are drawn by sensory detail. So if you mm. want to heighten emotions of the cast down your buckets, like I said, talk, talk about, about their throat. The throat, yeah. the parched lips, the beating sun. The cool, then the coolness. So and, uh, that's more emotional. Yeah, sure. More physical. Um, and then the, the last one, <laughs> I feel like when, when I'm pre working on a sermon, it's like you hold up a magnet and all the iron filings come to the magnet. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember that old toy where the yeah, guy, sure. guy's beard, you know, but um, you hold up a magnet. Imagine your text and your topic as a magnet and everything that you read, maybe dream that you have at night, a conversation with your spouse. Hmm something that you, um, a, a current event, all of these things are drawn toward your topic. Right, okay. Um, and so uh, if I start on Saturday night, there's not much time for the iron filings to come to the magnet. Right. So that would be when, and I know that your students and neither you or I would ever do this, but start late in the week. That's, no. why, that's why we might tend to say, you know what? I know this doesn't quite fit the text, but it doesn't really fit the text at all, but it's a great story and it's all I have. So right. it's going in, right? So that's, that's where um, preparation is a sign of respect for your congregation. Amen. So, yeah, and that's where we're doing, um, uh, your, you have your neck for noticing, we're doing an illustrative journal so that everybody has to, at least for a week, write down something every day. Oh, that's that, great. That they could use, it rather, rather not in a sermon, but some way that God intersected and that might be used in a sermon but just find something right that every, every day like it's just a discipline and then it'll come more naturally as you've kind of forced yourself to be in that position the habit yeah because um because you know in my experience i don't find what i'm looking for when i'm looking for it <laughs> yep yep it's true time, i might find it so yeah. yeah you know and you don't have to know how you would use it to collect it right sure so you, you just get them all in the 
we, and we've gotten some good words on that with uh, electronic pieces too. There's been some, I talked, I, I had on the same uh, series that we have with illustrations, I had some younger pastors than me come on and talk about like how they collate them and put them together. Right, so right. yeah, that's been really helpful. That's okay. Great. I'd love to make sure, I want to make sure you've already told like three stories, but do you have like a, a, one of your favorite stories that you've used in a sermon that you could you could use i do i do let's see this one is it's a little poignant is that all right i think so yeah. all right. <laughs> well, i we um i'll tell you if those of you are listening to this now um alice did come on my podcast to talk about her book um making a scene right and um, maybe she's pulling from that right now but, I am. Uh, I'm gonna find her. yeah go ahead all right, anyways, just encourage you to go back and listen to that if you're enjoying what you're here here in this location. So anyhow, okay. I'd love to hear what you have there. Okay, this is a favorite story of mine, and it is based on a sermon on Psalm 19, uh, and it's um, it's the sermon is called Training Day, and the premise is that we're um, we're training in how to um, how to praise God in difficult times. Okay. Okay. So on August 17th, 1960, at Seidel Memorial Hospital in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, my mother gave birth to a healthy eight pound baby boy. Her roommate on the other side of the curtain had given birth to a stillborn boy. Mm. The next morning, my mother awakened to see her roommate standing at the window, softly saying something over and over again. Listening very closely, my mother made out the words, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. My mother said, I don't want to intrude. She said, but, but how can you say that on today of all days? And the young grieving mother replied, why should today be any different from any other day? Mm. Right? Mm. So you could use that in many ways. You would not want to put that at the beginning of your sermon. Right. Because that is too hard an act to follow. But that to me, that was just a very poignant story that um, that could be used in different contexts. Mm. And like you say, to to get at different uh, aspects of the truth that you want to convey. Yes. It also yes. sets up a scene. You know, you can kind of see in your mind this this old timey hospital room with the with the blue curtain that comes across. My mother overhearing this woman with her back to her looking out the window. I mean, it's all making a movie in people's yeah, minds. Yeah, sure. Right. So, wow. What's the what's the way that comes to mind immediately for you to? What does that illustrate? Um, well, um, what I did there was I was trying to use the uh, psalm as uh, training in how to praise. Mm -hmm. And so um, this is what I. This is what I did with it. I said, a person doesn't make that response to a tragic loss without a lot of prior training. Yeah. If she is still living, that woman would be in her late 80s or early 90s. I picture her going home from the hospital room to practice her training in prayer every day from then on. Yeah. Wake up, wake up and go to a window. Look up, <laughs> and, look up and see the sun. Praise God's reliable love. Look out and see the needs of others and hear God's clear command to reach out to them in love. I picture her looking within on days when her nefesh, I've already talked about, okay, yeah, yeah. is depressed. <laughs> and mm. knowing God, the bringer of joy is there even on overcast days. So the whole thing was like, you look up, you look around, you look within, everywhere you yeah. look, God is there. Amen. So, yeah. So anyway. Um, That's great. The training day. Have, 
Yeah, training day. We have such a wonderful, um, such a wonderful, such a wonderful calling, uh, and it's not easy, but it is really, um, uh, as Tom Long points out, it's um, a ministry of great joy. Mm-hmm. I can see that you're enjoying teaching preaching. So that's I am. Cool. Yes, your absolutely. Students, your students are lucky to have. Wow. Thank you for saying that. I'm I'm certainly fortunate to be in the situation at Wesley, and it's fortunate to be able to interact with you and have your help along the way too. Alice, thanks so much for spending some time with me in my class here. It means a lot to me. Me too. Well, best wishes in your preaching adventures. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Well, I'm here with my friend, Dr. Marion Platt, who's an adjunct professor here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and he runs the Star Gospel Mission in Charleston, South Carolina, and is one of my favorite speakers. He is he's engaging, and it's just not me who thinks that. Many people have brought him in to speak. He can't, if he took every invitation, he wouldn't, I mean, he would never see his family. So <laughs> I'm thankful. Marion, thanks for coming along here. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation, Andy. I appreciate it, brother. And tell us where you're coming from so we can know the echo and uh, the contact. <laughs> yeah, I am in the stairwell, uh, the 33rd floor of a hotel overlooking Manhattan. My boys and I are having a little man getaway, and nice. uh, we're eating our way through the city this weekend. So um, probably not the, the, the best and wisest thing to do during a pandemic, but, you know, have mask, we'll travel. There you go. Awesome. Well, it's yeah. great that you know, that's not where you live. You, I'm, I'm sorry to say you don't live on the 33rd floor overlooking Manhattan, but... Uh, Right. <laughs> it's nice. Well, so talk to me about illustrations in general. How do you uh, collate illustrations? Oh, like, what is it? Where do you put them? Like, where do you, what do you, where, how do you organize illustrations? Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing you always need to think about when, when you are choosing illustrations is that you, you have to exegete your congregation. Right. You, have, you have to look at your congregation. You have to figure out what kind of signals, what symbols matter to right. them, what, what kind of things are, are prevalent in their everyday life. What, what do they think about? What do they eat? What do they talk about? You know, I, um, I, as, as you are, Andy, I am from the American South. I love um, a very well-made bowl of grits. Amen. Okay. Uh, yeah. And and I remember being um, in a revival series that an older preacher was preaching, and he was talking about grits. He was describing grits, and I thought, you know, that would only work in the South. Right. Because I've I've been in other places where folks have no idea what grits are you know you might need to use cream of wheat or oatmeal or something like that to make that illustration work but because he was in the south and that is a um, you know knowledge of grits and even wars over grits you know what (laughs) what goes in them sugar or salt um are are fairly common it was it was better for him so it was a well-placed illustration that was specific to the culture and the congregation to whom he was speaking right and that can even endear him like i found because it's very obvious while i've lived in the south for 20 years that i'm not from the south uh and it can be endearing for me to 
as an outsider still to come in and acknowledge friends, I have converted and I have found this thing you call grits and I love them, right? Or whatever it is. That's, that's knowing right. the congregation too. And yeah. even that little, that little moment is a, is a way of connections. And I think that that's what we've realized in our course is that illustrations are means of connections. They're not just a point. But yeah. sometimes it's a couple of words, uh, but sometimes it is a full-blown five, 10 minute story too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What do you, um, how do you organize your illustrations? Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with the congregation as well. Okay. You know, there, there are some, there are some congregations um, even, and sometimes this is generational where you better come with a very strong signal that somebody can attach their their mind to right mm -hmm. so if for instance if you are uh, preaching to teenagers yeah they're they're going to need a signal to latch on to if you open if you open the bible and say let's let's turn to ecclesiastes right chapter three and you begin like that you've lost them they're gone wow, wow. they're gone but if you can begin with an engaging story that though they try to ignore you, they can't help but listen out of one ear. Um, I, I would say, it, so I think the, the short answer is it depends on the congregation. Right. Because as the preacher, you have to come up with a kind of prescription for yeah. your congregation. You have to say what, you know, how do these people hear the gospel? What is the sequence yeah. that they would most attach themselves to? Um, and so, yeah, I would say, I would say it depends. Yeah. Now, you and I have um, both spoken at the Holy Desk at Lake Juneau, Alaska yes. um, several times. And so that is a different kind of congregation. When people sure. gather for a camp meeting, yeah, they're going to be inclined to listen differently. Right, right. right. Or when you are um, ministering to a, a population that is in recovery from yeah. drugs and alcohol. Yeah. They, it's, you know, they're going to want to make their connection to the preacher, him or herself, right, before right. they listen to anything that you right. have to say. So it right. might be that the prescription for a community that's in recovery or a community that is homeless, like, like the community that I serve, right. they, they want to hear about my broken bones. Right. Show us your wounds. Yeah. yeah. Because they're going to connect with that. Right. So again, I, I think more, more than anything, the preacher is a student of culture. And I don't mean a larger culture, but the little subculture that they're preaching in. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as a guest preacher, man, when I, am, when I walk into yeah. that congregation, whether that congregation is on the street somewhere, or whether yeah. that congregation is, you know, a, um, a, a, a body of believers in some other part of the world, 
I'm shaking hands and I'm having conversations, but the whole time I'm listening for what kind of signals matter to them, the rhythm, the tempo of their speech. What do they talk about? Mm. What -hmm. what are they saying to me? What are they saying to one another? I'm listening to the person who's giving the welcome, who is making announcements because all of those are signals and you need to be able to pay attention to right. what's being what's being said, not just verbally, but all of the cultural. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's what they used to in the old days. You'll know we we both uh, served the Salvation Army officers in the Salvation Army for right. um, you know over fifteen years for me, a little bit longer for you. But they used to. Have, I I I did. I got rid of them where I served. Uh, I called them throne chairs. Yeah. You would up on, but you would sit up on the stage and. You know, I, I wanted a more informal connection, and that's why I right. went, but there was some wisdom to the throne chairs. My grandfather would say, you'd sit up there and you'd read the crowd that's the right. whole time. You'd see what they're responding to. That's the only that's weakness right. of getting rid of the throne, what I called the throne chairs. Now, let me jump in on this. Um, you, you've, you've helped me with your use of technology. How, do you use an app or... Do you get, get things down fast or, or when you're preparing a sermon, does it just come to you, the, the illustrations that you need? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't always come to me. Um, one of the things that I like to use, um, as I mentioned, is um, symbols. Okay. Right. It, um, or maybe even expressions that are meaningful. You, you know a little bit about my, my history um, and and how that interacts with my ethnicity, which yeah, I, yeah. you know, uh, tri-ethnic. Um, but I, I spent a lot of weekends flip-flopping between the Southern Baptist Church and the Missionary Baptist Church, right. two very different schools of preaching. Right. And, and one of the things that I can sometimes adopt into um, my my message, and I learned this. From well, first of all, let me say that there's 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 a different ethnic assumption between the Southern Baptist Church and the Missionary Baptist Church. And to right. clarify, Missionary Baptist Church is really like the birthplace of black preaching, and Southern Baptist Church is mostly populated by Anglo's, um, not not exclusively, but mostly. Right. And and so, um, for instance, sometimes I can even detect. Um, the um, the spiritual birthplace of a person just listening to the way that they talk, the way that they interact when they're in sacred space, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, sometimes an expression can be meaningful. This is very, very important in the black in the black church because yeah. um, there there's very often almost a climax. Like if I say. I have a dream yeah, that yeah. takes you that takes you to the mall in right, Washington sure. D.C. because uh, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, knew how to use that climax in his message. He would right. kind of he would he would uh, kind of warm up the thrusters with some uh, exegesis. Sorry, um, good picture though. Yeah, <laughs> he would he would warm up. He would warm up with, um, you know, some exegesis, talking about the social dilemma, talking about how scripture interacts with that. And then he would get into this climax where he would say, I have a dream. And now 
dozens of years later, you and I, who weren't even aware, we weren't even born in that time, still have created an association yes. to that sermon that he pre preached at the National Mall. Um, additionally, so if you're you know, preaching on Paul and Silas, and you were to zoom in on those words at midnight, yeah, you know, sure. the, 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 the prison began to shake and the walls uh, began to crumble and the chains fell off at midnight. So what, what happens is there's an association that is built into the person's brain. Yeah. Sometimes even when they hear the word, hey, I'll come over at midnight, there'll be this memory that happens. Right. So it's almost like an association, a mnemonic device yeah. um, that happens in their brain. They think at midnight, or if, if I just uh, said to you in a casual conversation one day, you know what, Andy, I have a dream. It might just be a conversation between you and I, but you're going to probably hear that in right, a particular right. voice. So, yeah. um, so sometimes illustrations are associations with words or with symbols. Um, so I, I remember um, someone once talking, once preaching about um, what holiness was. Yeah, it was. It was a little bit loosey-goosey, but they were just talking about the difference between two department stores and how their floors look. Mm, right. Interesting. One of the department stores, I won't, I won't say, but their, their symbol is a target. One <laughs> of those department stores, if you walk in, you can almost see yourself in the floor. Sure. Because, because that's a part of their branding. Right. And um, to a person who's been in the military, man, a clean floor means everything. <laughs> right. And so they just went into that talking about, you know, when I was a young Marine, yeah. Um, it's like I'm going to have a guest here in a moment. Um, you know, the symbol of excellence was a clean floor. Right. And so, right. And so that became, that became, you know, one of their illustrations. And now when I walk into um, a certain box store and I see, you know, smudges on the floor and, yeah. you know, buggy wheel scrapes, shopping yeah. cart scrapes on the floor. I think this isn't like the place with the, you know, target on the door. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that yeah. illustration. So there's word and image associations. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about Martin Luther King and the building to the climax, we are, we're looking at Frank Thomas's book. Um, oh, on, yeah. Yeah, so he's so the good. Black preaching, I think. That's great. Yeah, uh, bring them in with celebration. And so uh, and, and so he talks about you you have a situation, you have a conflict in the situation, then you resolve the situation. But the thing that black preaching has done in the black tradition is that celebration of the resolution. That's right. So that's kind of like a, a, a little bit what you're highlighting there. And also I just appreciate what you're saying too about the nature of images and how powerful they are. So, Absolutely. oh, Marion, I need an hour. Okay, so let me let me back up. One more one more question. Just give us if I if I called on you and you happen to be in the church I was serving and I called you up and you only had a few minutes, but you probably have some of your favorite illustrations in your back pocket. Give us one of your illustrations, one of your favorites. Yeah, I, I would say one that one that really connects with um, every audience that I know. It, it takes a little bit of adjusting. 
Um, but it has a, um, it is essentially the story of a young man who is on his way home and he stops at a gas station um, and he gets gas, but he gets back to his vehicle and he tries to crank his vehicle and there's no spark from the battery. Hmm. So he honks the horn, the horn honks, um, but uh, when, and the radio works, but when he turns the key, he gets no spark, the vehicle doesn't come to life. So he goes in and an old man says, have you checked your lights? And he said, well, everything else works, so the lights should be fine. It's just something's wrong with my vehicle. He said, but have you checked your lights? And the young man doesn't really engage that part of the conversation. So the older man grabs, you know, a WD-40 and a new battery and a crescent wrench, and he changes the battery in the vehicle. And the young man goes to crank the car, and it roars to life. The horn works, the lights come on, everything. And the young man says, well, I don't, I don't know what happened. Everything worked. I was, you know, even, even the, the, the lights on my dash, everything was working. And the old man says to him, son, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you this battery for free. If you remember this one thing, your horn worked because it takes a lot less energy to toot than to shine. Wow. So, um, and so the application there is it's, it's easy uh, to talk. It's easy to make noise, but it takes a lot more energy and focus then uh, to it takes a lot more energy and focus to project what you believe yeah. rather than just talk about it. And so the reason that that, that can um, apply is because it could be, you know, if you are in a, if you're preaching to the Christian Association of Bus Drivers. Yeah, sure. You can apply that illustration. You could use it to, to preachers to make sure that they're, you know, making sure their words um, are significant and that they're using their words well. Yeah, it can go many different yeah. directions. Yeah, and that and that story, that story can translate to just about any population. I think the one time that I, you know, again, I've memorized that story in a lot more detail than I've just shared with you. But um, I think one time I was, uh, so I, I ride Harley Davidson's with a, a group called the uh, Christian Motorcyclists Association. And I was asked to do a funeral and I changed the characters in the story. Yeah. Um, because this guy rode motorcycles in this sermon, I preached it 13 years ago, but uh, the, the family of this man who died on his motorcycle still remembers that story. Wow. And they'll, they'll contact me on Facebook and say, I still remember it takes more energy to shine than to toot. Wow. Um, so again, you can, you can change yep. the characters, you can change the setting, all of that kind of stuff. But the, but the message can be used to point people to some transcendent gospel truth um, yeah. that helps them live out their life. Awesome. Oh, Marion, this is great. Thanks so much for your time. I, I, I invaded your weekend with your boys. So I appreciate you giving me a few minutes. And uh, those of you who are in this class, or if, if you see us some other way, you know, check out Dr. Platt's teaching in leadership in our undergraduate program. So 
you might want to register for that class after hearing the way he tells a few stories here. So <laughs> excellent. Thank you. Brother. God bless you. Bless Thanks you. for your time, Marion. Yeah, man. Bye-bye. Well, hi, friends. I am so glad to have with me Commissioner Sue Swanson. And you might not know this, particularly people who are in my class, but this is my aunt, my Aunt Sue. So I'm, and she is a wonderful preacher. Aunt Sue, thanks for coming along. Thanks, Sandy. It's good to be with you. Hello there, everybody down south. We it's not <laughs> it's not snowing yet in Chicago. So everybody wants to know when it's snowing. Now I introduced my aunt as commissioner. That's a rank in the Salvation Army. It's similar to being a bishop in many of the denominations you all serve. And so her and her husband have served all over the world. And uh, in the Salvation Army, and they finished up their ministry serving the Salvation Army in the Northeast. Also served the Salvation Army in the, in the Midwest, so um, gave her a lot of guest opportunities, but also uh, her and my uncle Barry served as local church pastors or what we call core officers for many years in Michigan, um, in Minnesota, and all kinds of places. So Aunt Sue, how is it that you think about illustrations? Like what is it? I mean, illustrations can mean a lot of things. It could be a word here or there, it could be a simile, but also it could be a full-blown story. Tell me like how you think through illustrations. Um, my I have some views about that. I, my heart is that people would be able to connect with the word of God. So yeah. to an illustration is to help connect people with the truth of the scripture. So that, that's one thing that's been very meaningful to me. Um, an illustration is to help the word uh, take on flesh. Yes. That, that's, that's my sense for me. Uh, one of the things I've decided is that it would be better to use no illustrations than to use the wrong thing. Hello. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so th that's one thing for me. I preach visually. Yeah. For me, I, I preach visually. So my prayer is that people will be able to see it. So okay. some uh, motion or some uh, story that connects to that, then I think that is really um, an important, important piece. And usually for my preaching, I zero in on one thought rather than a yeah, bunch, sure. bunch of thoughts. Um, another, do you just want me to just tell well, you? Well, let something? me go there. I, I, I want to hear your next point too. But you said something that was interesting to me uh, about not using the wrong illustration. You'd rather use no illustrations than use the wrong illustrations. What, what, it, when is an illustration wrong? Oh, a illustration's wrong when it's not anything you're connected to. Okay. If you just want, if you feel you have to just put something in and you talk about some illustration as if it was yours. Wow. Uh, or if you don't give, I, I don't mind telling someone else's story, but make sure that somebody, you know, I can't tell a story about a man playing football as if I was the man playing football. Right, right. You know, so, and I do hear people just using some illustration that obviously came from an illustration book. Right. Um, 
So I think part of that issue is you got to live with your sermon long enough so that you're breathing it in so that you see the illustration all around you. Yeah, yeah, I love it. That That's so key. And uh, it, there can be other places things come from, but man, being able to have something that comes from your life that's a, even if it is not directly something that you've done, um, if you're living it, breathing it in, I love that you said that. Okay, what was your second point? Yeah, I interrupted you. No, no, I don't know. I was just, um, I think um, that's a big hang up for me. So I'm glad if you want to keep talking about that, I'm glad to hear it. Your illustrations can come from the story itself, from the scripture itself. There you go. Um, I was very moved by the story of uh, Moses being put in the basket. Yeah. In, in the bulrushes. And so the illustration for me is to see Miriam watching her brother and not leaving her brother. Right. So you can easily uh, ask people listening to think about a brother mm. and think about putting a basket in the Nile. Right. Where you don't even go into that water because of everything swimming around in there. Yeah. And to think that in effect they had put this, this was the baby's coffin. Wow. You know, and so for me, I didn't need any other illustration. Right. Stop and listen to what the word says. Wow, that is great. I remember hearing you tell that exact same story. Yeah, when, when they could no longer hide him. Right. They, mom couldn't watch, but sis could follow it. Now, you, you told me that of telling that story one time when you were actually in Africa at the Nile, right? Well, we were, we were near waters. Okay. So when I made that reference, the women of Africa were, uh, you, you don't need words. Right. Yeah, you I think that's really helpful. It's like it, it, the text is like you're providing a different light on the text that helps, that is in itself an illustration. You don't have to tell a story about playing softball when you're a teenager and how that's like Moses, you know, going into the, to the Nile River. I mean, you, you illustrate the text in the text itself. And that, that kind of gets to a challenge. Like we use the word illustration and it can mean all kinds of things, but illustrating something is what you're doing there. I love it. Yeah. How do you get your illustrations? Like how, what, what, here's a better question. How do you, like get them have them available so when you're working on a sermon you're able to utilize them in the back of my journals uh, when i journal during devotions time in the very back i have pages where uh, the lord will give me some uh, picture of yeah. something and then just i'll write it out with it may be a memory it may be now some of them have failed i've um, preached around the world so usually you try to because it's visual, then I don't even need the translator for some of it. I can. Oh, wow. You can motion it. You can wow. motion it. You can say, I'm going to stand firm. You can say, wow. you know, I'm going to trust in the Lord. Um, and you can take a story and, you know, you have to be uh, careful with 
but I never had trouble in a country. Uh, usually the visual translations speak. The other thing is, um, even when you have contrast in, in a scripture, uh, it's this or this. I mean, you can visually move. It's this, Yes. this. So where are you going to stand? Are you going to stand here? You're going to stand here. So yeah. once the translator has done that, then you simply have to go stand in these different places. Yes. You don't even have to ask out loud the question. You can just... Mm. So was this something uh, that you picked up from your father, my grandfather, who is well known for his illustrations, or is this something you picked up yourself? I, well, I don't know. It probably huh. is a combination. I think I grew up, I loved my, my father's preaching, but I, I think it's the way I'm wired. I'm wired uh, to learn visually. I'm wired to learn physically. Yeah, so yeah. I'm memorizing. I, it's a physical kind yes. of. Thing. Um, it's. I do it visually when I'm memorizing scripture. The scripture I put out visually. Uh, so there is some of that. So I don't know, and I feel it's the way the Holy Spirit has wired me. Sure. I remember one that you did um, at a large gathering in Sweden. Uh, uh, more than a thousand youth, all from um, all the Salvation Armies, 130, I mean, more than 130 territories. And uh, you you had a stack of laundry and it was a very visual, you remember? Yeah, it was, that was really amazing. It was, where are you going to put your life? Now, you know, you should do something with your life. Where are you going to put it? Right. It was like, I do the laundry and then it just sits. <laughs> And I, so I had a little bench and I could just hold up those towels and say, um, you've got to put these towels away. Where are you going to put them? Where right. are you going to put them? Where are you going to do that? And that was a, I, you know, just sitting there and just holding those towels up. And it was, it was a very strange illustration because it's a kind of a culturally, why am, why am I the only one doing the towels? Why, you know? <laughs> But to have those towels there, and then during that to say, I'll do anything to not put these towels away. And I could climb over them. I could sit on top of them. I could throw them underneath the bench. I could do that. But then to finally just say, why don't you give these towels to the Lord? I wow. actually have had more response from people saying they made a decision about what to do with their life uh, be because of that Wow! Some illustration. And it's, um, you know, it, it seemed to translate for all cultures. Yeah. I mean, it was a hundred. I mean, it was every brother-in-law brother was there. Who Who's there? Uh, your brother, Anil. Oh, that's right. You know, I forgot that yeah, I was in the room too. It's funny. We haven't made that connection too much that we were both in that room. Yeah. That is wild. But I think it was, it was this visual, you yes, know, that's right. And so the, clear yeah and it's the weirdest one but i felt the lord you know inspiring me to 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 just do that and and so it kind of got around all the other things because i was supposed to talk about people making a choice to become ministers you know right, for, right. there are a whole lot there were other choices but that was my topic so i thought well, right. i'm gonna do it you yeah have to do something with this folded laundry you've got I, this together i've got 
gotten uh, packages with a towel and somebody said, I, I made a decision what to do with my towel. Wow. I know where I'm going to put it. I'm going to put it, you know. That was, yeah, that obviously is an inspired moment. And, and, and that was one where the illustration became a lot of the sermon, like, and that's what people will remember from it, but it led to a clear point of decision and action. Well, I, maybe it's still your, go, go ahead. I'll tell you when that bombed. Okay, great. <laughs> New Zealand bombed. Um, I decided I was going to do a crash course on rugby. Oh, and it's wow. my sermon on rugby. <laughs> Finally, halfway through the sermon, I said, look, I got this all messed up and let's just drop the rugby. We right in the middle of the sermon. Let's just drop that rugby thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, so we, I mean, but everybody came with me on it. Like, you know, they said they gave me points for. Oh, for there you go. They for trying. Well, maybe I, do you have a, a go-to illustration that you, a story that you like to tell? Like I've seen, it seems like people have, you know, five or 10 that they can pull out at any point. Is there one that you'd like to give us an example? Um, oh gosh, I don't, you know, I don't have one that I just pull out all the time. Um, I think one that, um, one that was helpful, well, one that was helpful to me was, uh, making a, a connection with resting in the Lord. And um, I had gone snorkeling with our son and daughter-in-law and I had never done that. And so um, I just was in a panic, like the whole time I was trying to, I thought I had to keep doing it. And I thought, I can't keep this up. And finally, I remember my son just putting his hand on my shoulder and said, just stop it. And will you just float? And, um, <laughs> I, I remember distinctly thinking, oh, I didn't know I could just rest. I could, you know, wow. yeah. all this kind of stuff. And um, that was a really good one because, I mean, it was hilarious because I did get a snorkel and I was up there <laughs> with the snorkel. But, and then I, you know, kind of planted myself resting yeah. on a bench. But that, that that's good. Yeah, it was. Um, because it was a life experience and it was something that I needed to learn. And it's something that comes back to me when I need to rest, you know, Interesting. not be so panicky and rest in the Lord that he's not calling me to. Yeah. Yeah. He's calling me to rest. And then, you know, okay. yeah. I think a lot, there's a lot of seminary students who are hearing you say that who, who need that word, Hansu. <laughs> well, I think that's true. I mean, yeah, don't we? We're all, I mean, we're all in that. We're all having to pivot and do a lot of different things. But um, some, I, uh, I use my own personality in my preaching. So I will say that Yeah. I do, I do have humor, but I try not to use it for anything but to direct people to the lord right yeah so you could do and the people who know you know that you could turn it into a whole stand-up comedy routine and you'd probably be extremely successful as a stand-up comic yeah <laughs> i think i would <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think i think you're right but um 
I think sometimes a comedy is to show the irony of how ridiculous it is when we when we don't trust in the yeah. Lord or when we choose something other than the Lord. Um, I would say too, in uh, I don't know if people in your class would be making application for people um, to invite them to come to pray, to pray at an altar, to make a decision. Yeah. I will say that um, I have found that the less said, the better. You've preached your sermon and uh, sometimes we can get nervous about that because it's such mm. a tender thing. But to keep the a wide door for people to make response, don't um, zero in too much because the Holy Spirit has been speaking to people, not just through your sermon, through yeah, yeah. all of life. And um, to, to keep that open. And even in that regard, to just sometimes physically remove yourself and allow the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think I was in um, someplace in Europe and the translator said, what are we gonna do during the altar call? And I said, we're going to invite people in the name of the Holy Spirit if they would like to come and pray and then we'll stand back. Yeah. So we just made an invitation. Here's what the sermon has been now in the name of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit is God speaking to you? And uh, she translated, and then she physically took my arm and made me take two steps back mm. while, while we watched to, to um, witness how the Holy Spirit was speaking to people. That was very tender. Yeah, well, that's oh, a good word. I mean, it, I, I, in Finland. In it, Finland, there it is. Yeah. So That's great. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking some time with me here. I, I wish I had longer, um, no, but I'm really so thankful. It's been helpful. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm really glad to have, and also like thinking of some of that hasn't come up yet at all. Thinking of the intercultural perspectives, and um, there's some some things there that you highlighted. I think will be really helpful. But thanks so much for taking time with us. All right. God bless you. Okay.